Let me know if I don't get this on right. Is it on? Okay. Good morning. You know when you receive a gift and, uh, and it's sitting there and the bow is all wrapped up and the paper, I just, uh, I feel every time I have a chance, and Tim, thank you for letting me be a part of the youth rally. You can tell my voice is just about gone. I apologize for that. I've been singing this weekend, and, uh, but to be here is a gift. And, and if I don't get to see uh, many of you that I've known over the years this morning, I apologize. I, I was sitting in the back and I was trying to to recognize people from the back of their heads. Um, I think when people count folks in church, they do that. And it's amazing the, the beloved deacon who will be in the back and will can tell everybody from their follicles in the back of their head. And, and, uh, and I was trying my best, but I'd, I'd love to get a chance to see everyone here this morning that, that, uh, that I've missed and, and uh, to get a chance to, to greet you and let you know that, uh, you know, I, I think we just need to do a better job uh, in the church of looking each other in the eye and say, you matter. You're special. And it's not until many times years later that you realize uh, how important a person was at a certain time uh, in your life. i uh, just glad to be here this morning. Thank you for letting me be a part of this service. And I'm going to use some slides and some video up here. So I don't know if we need to turn the lights down somewhat to subdue them. It's, it's up to y'all. I know the video up here that I'm going to show. There's two of them. And they're a little, thank you, uh, a little easier to see if the lights are down somewhat. But today I want to talk a little bit about distraction. Distraction. Um, I had two calls from Tim this week. Tim called me up and he said, I need to talk to you. And when Tim says, I need to talk to you, he really does. And he said, one of our speakers, his father, uh, had an aneurysm. His name is Wiley Lowe. His father had an aneurysm this week. And as much as I've heard lately, uh, he's, he's holding his own. And, and I ask that you pray for him and his father. Tim called and he said, can you speak a second time? And I said, yes. I said, just put me wherever you want me to go. And, and uh, and then I, I had another call from Tim on Thursday, and he said, well, there was a, a youth group that had to pull out at the last minute, could not come, and so our numbers are going to be a little smaller. And he said, if you need to change anything, go ahead and do that. But more than that, what I heard in Tim's voice was what I'd heard and seen in my own life many times being a minister as a youth minister when things begin at the last minute kind of falling apart. Have you been there before? It's kind of like you're making a puzzle, and you're putting this you know, 500-piece puzzle, whatever, together, and everything goes where it's supposed to, and everything is shaped the way it's supposed to, and you get down to two pieces, and you can see where they go, and you know exactly where it's going to happen, and then your phone rings. And so it's not your cell phone, it's the phone that's connected to the wall. And so you go over there, but your cell phone uh, that's on your hip holds on to what's underneath the puzzle, and as you walk away, the puzzle just goes epic fail moment. You know what I'm saying? And you just look at it and go, I'm going to start with one again, number two, number three, and go to 500 again. But in that moment, that moment of distraction, it was kind of when Tim called me up, and, and I wanted to say this in a way that, that, that encouraged you and him, because Tim has done an amazing job with the youth of this church, with the youth rally, and if you believe that, say amen, please. All right. See, Tim, I don't even know where you're sitting, but just you've been blessed. There you go. 
We just that's that just file that under. We need to tell each other how much we love each other. And I could tell the distraction in his voice. And I could hear myself because I've been there before. Things like that have happened. Where there was one time uh, in Mississippi that we had had this. I mean, we had a youth rally, five or six hundred teenagers. So we drew everyone from Memphis and from everyone south uh, in. In, the, in Mississippi. And so here we were, we were ready to go, and it was Thursday. And then we turn on the news, and there is a snowstorm in Mississippi coming on Thursday night. It snowed eight inches in Mississippi, which never happens. And so we got up, and I had to drive into town about 15 miles, barely got there, but my mission that Friday was to call every church and say, We've canceled the youth rally. We've had speakers lined up. We had singing groups. We had everything set up the way it was supposed to. We had to faithfully call everyone and say, we don't know when it's been postponed to, but it will happen, and so we'll let you know about that. But that moment of distraction, like watching the puzzle fall on the ground, what a moment. Your faith is tested, and you realize that this moment is a crucial time for faith, like no other. I'm going to pull out my remote now and go forward here. Here we go. There's our youth rally sign. Uh, Let me see if I can get to the next slide. There we go. Distraction. I want to show a quick video of a lady who is very distracted. How many of you have seen this before? The late, okay, this is no news for you. But distraction can make us do crazy, crazy things. To be distracted means that we don't really know what's going on. You've seen this video before. Here we go. I hope it works. She's walking. She's texting on her cell phone and falls in the fountain. Can I say that again? She's texting. She doesn't know what's going on. She falls in the fountain. This is in a mall. And then she gets on TV and tells everybody that's her. Well, I wouldn't have done that because I wouldn't, you know, because you can't tell in the video if it's her or not, but she came out and said, I fell in the fountain. That's the way it happened. Then they're going to show it again here. Here we go. If you didn't see it before, ready, set, go. I should, probably should have a faith problem with showing this video because it's not me. You know, uh, you show somebody else kind of falling in the fountain, it's kind of easy to look at that. Does anyone, does this lady know that she is distracted before falling in the fountain? Does she realize what's about to happen? Does she realize right before the plunge (laughs) that there was anything more important in that moment than walking straight, than walking in a way that she was getting to her destination? You've seen the drivers. I've seen them too. Boy, they, they make me angry. Drivers that will be driving and putting the phone on top of the steering wheel and texting while they're driving. And and they're trying to look and they're trying to look and they're trying to read and they're trying to type. And you're sitting there thinking you're going to kill someone. It happens. I've also seen people texting like this. They'll be driving and they'll, they'll be like this. And, and, and trying to keep their, their mind on two things at the same time. Really, it's more than two because it's, it's then the texting and this, the reading and it's the driving and, the, oh, I better stay between the ditches. And so it's all these things coming together. I've seen the bumper sticker. I guess I was distracted. Maybe I shouldn't have been reading the bumper sticker. But it said, honk if you love Jesus. 
text while driving if you want to meet him. You know, it's one of those things. <laughs> Distraction is real. <laughs> and and be, let's be honest. If we blow it, if we were this lady, <laughs> we always have an excuse, don't we? Well, uh, I, well, it was important. I had to... I had to text it back. The person, you know, wanted to know if I could pick up some bread, you know, before coming home. I had to text them back. Usually it's, it's kind of like, well, we, we look at a situation where we fall in the fountain or we do something distracting and we do something that everyone will remember for the rest of their life and you'll try to forget it. And we'll say something like this. Well, I only fell in one fountain. I'm not like the guy who fell in two or three. He's got a real problem, you understand. <laughs> I've only fallen in one. Today, if you'd like to, to turn in John chapter 17, verse 1. We'll get to our scripture reading in just a minute, but John 17, 1. The reason I want to turn there is because I believe that probably in the life of Jesus, this moment had the potential to be the most distracting moment of his entire life on this planet. And if you really want to find out the faith that Jesus had in the crucial moment that he had it, In the time of greatest distraction that we would find, it would be this very moment in John chapter 17. Let's start in verse 1 and look. Here we go. If you'd like to look up here, you can. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In these scriptures, it's difficult to see the distraction, but do you realize what's happening just before and just after these Scriptures here. Just before this happened, it was the washing of the feet. This happens to be the last earthly night of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. And so here he is, washing feet. Last minute preparations to his disciples, telling them exactly what they need to know before he's gone. And then before, before all that begins, he, in John 17, decides to pray. And I'm so certainly glad he had it written down. He had so many things going on in this moment. And if we read further, we realize that his will and his father's will may have been going in different directions at this time. Because even Jesus prays, I don't want to go through this crucifixion. I don't want to go through this. Father, may this cup pass from me. And then he ends the prayer by saying, not my will. (laughs) but yours be done. So he had, there were two wills going on. And so in this portion of scripture, it was a distracting moment. Satan is doing everything possible to derail the plans that God has for his son and causing Jesus to be distracted. Years ago, they call it a major look moment, you know, (laughs) major look, you know, and, and Satan is doing anything to get Jesus distracted from the purpose. So what was really going on in the mind of Jesus? Doing his father's will. There's part of the scripture that talks about him not losing any of the disciples that his father had given him. 
glorifying his father, the unity of the believers, and so many other things. This is what's going on in the mind of Christ at this moment. He desperately wants not to be distracted. So you know what he does? He goes to his father. Isn't that a great place to go when you are distracted? I know in our lives, think about your distractions for a minute. The things that that make you want to go in 17 different directions all at once. You know, you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about this, and, oh, I need to complete this project, or I need to tell this person how I feel, or I need to reach out to them, or I need to do this. Oh, I can't forget this prayer request. And all these things come along, and they just, it's a barrage of things. Each one individually is not a bad thing, but all of them piled on can be very difficult. Satan understands that. Here's a picture of a lion tamer, okay? Have you ever seen something like this before where there's a lion tamer who walks into this cage and we see them as fearless? How could you do that? What, what do you have to have going through your mind that you would walk into a cage with a lion? Well, the lion tamer has a couple things on his side. Number one, well, he's brave. That's number one. How do you do that? Uh, but uh, number two, he's got a whip in one hand. He's got a kind of a, a chair or a stool in the other. People think, why do, you, why do you pull in a stool? What does that do? What, are you going to sit down before being eaten? I mean, what is this? You know? And so people have studied that and said, well, for the lion, if, if you're holding out the, the stool or the chair, and it has not only one, not only two, not only three, but maybe four pegs coming out, in this case, four parts of the stool, these, these legs coming out at the the lion. What the lion is trying to do is he's trying to defend himself against this new threat. And so he looks at the legs of the chair and he goes, maybe not adding them up, but there are four different things to defend against. Not just one, not just this hungry meal that's on the other side of the, the legs of this chair, but there are four different objects that are coming at me at once. And so because all those four are coming to him at once, the lion is tamed. The lion cannot defend himself against four things. So it is docile and it sits back and realizes it's powerless. How many things does it take in your life to render you powerless? How many things all coming at you at one time just makes you want to sit down and say, I cannot accomplish this. I can't do it. How many distractions does Satan have to hit you with in order to render you an ineffective Christian? What if Satan throws difficulty your way? Can you handle it? What if there's an illness in the family? I don't wish that on anyone. Maybe a life-threatening one, and you're sitting there thinking, I cannot handle this. What about guilt? It happens to all of us over a sin. It may have started years ago, and it's something we've kept from everyone because, of course, it's, it's something we don't want anyone else to know about. And it has just inwardly eaten us almost alive. Now how are you doing? Then there's church. Well, maybe we've not been going for a while. Maybe we kind of go here and there. Or maybe it's a little bit more about our private life between us and God. Maybe we've not cracked open the Bible in a long time. Maybe prayer life is just non-existent. And all these things come at us at one time and they render us... Quiet, distracted, ineffective. All right, I'm going to turn this to the next scripture here in a second. 
we have to admit something that we're afraid to say. We're, many times it's not that we're too proud, but if we have to admit we're distracted, <laughs> then we have to admit that we've missed these top two things. Look at this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, <laughs> with all your, your mind and with all your strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when Jesus came here to speak, to teach, and to talk about the most important things, I'm glad he didn't give us a list of 72 individual things that we had to keep all at one time. He made it a two-step process. He said, how are you doing with your love for God? And how are you loving people? Satan says, oh, you have to have this perfect, and you have to make sure this is just right, and this, and this, and this. And then Jesus settles it down, and he says... Listen to me, Christian. <laughs> I love you. Love me back. I love my people. Love them too. I talked about that in my lesson here Friday night. So, you know the rest of the story. I don't really have to describe it to you about what Jesus did. Here's the moment where he could have been the most distracted. He could have just said, I'm not going to Gethsemane. I'm going to give up on this process. I'm not going to do my Father's will. It's too much. There's too much going on in my life. But he takes his concern. Number one, he loved his Father. Do you see the mission of Jesus? Not only was, was teaching the truth, which was loving God and then loving others, he lived it. How did he get through that distracted moment? How? Impossible. Can you imagine doing what Jesus did and going through this moment? Almost impossible. What calmed him? What allowed him to do it? These two things. He brought his request to the Lord. His distraction was brought before the presence of his father, and his father comforted him. Other parts in the scripture said, and angels came to attend him. It was a very personal moment between him and his father. And then the next step Jesus makes is loving others by dying for them. Amazing. Jesus let everything else go away. Chapter 18 says he went to Gethsemane for his appointment for the betrayal his appointment for honoring his father's will, and he went there undistracted. Wow. If it were us today, <laughs> maybe we'd turn off those infernal cell phones for a little bit, you know. Oh, by the way, I have to say this. I, uh, coming back here and visiting, of course, our minds go to David Lewis, and I remember every time he would sign a check to the Internal Revenue Service, he'd change one letter. It would be Infernal Revenue Service. He didn't like those checks. He didn't like to send those in. I just had to say that. All right. But uh, we'd turn off those cell phones. We'd unsubscribe from those 17,000 email lists that send us things every day. Those drive me crazy, by the way. We'd unplug the iPods, the TVs. We'd plug back into what's most important. Oh, by the way, someone, I think Jennifer sent me a message this week that said, this next week is National Screen not scream, but screen-free week, which means turn off the screen, spend time with people, not with things. By the way, I like that. So Jesus loved God. 
He said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus loved others as himself. He washed the disciples' feet. He climbed on the cross and he died for us. So we know who Jesus is. At that moment when he could have been the most distracted, he chose a distraction-free zone in the presence of his Father. And he knew who he was. He was free to serve others. Let me say it again. Jesus was free because of his relationship with his Father and his determination to not be distracted in the moment of great decision to do exactly what God wanted him to do, that he was free to serve other people. My question to you is, do you know who you are? Let me say it again. Do you know who you are? I said, well, of course I do. I just take out my wallet and I can read my driver's license. This is who I am. This is what I do. And I, I don't mean that. Do you know who you are? There was a person serving at a potluck. There was a, a beloved member of our church that had passed away. It was about uh, two months ago. And there was a, a member who came downstairs, and this is our potluck area, and we had a big fellowship after the, after the funeral service itself. And there was one man from our church who was just busily, he was, he was going from place to place, getting ice or getting drinks for people or serving or carrying food or whatever he could do. He was finding uh, a ministry to do that. And I was just, preachers do this, we would just stand back and watch him folks and how they function and what they're doing. And I was watching him serve people and I kind of came up to him later and I tugged on his shirt and I said, I see you. I see what you're doing. You're serving folks. And he kind of, you know, he, he wasn't sure that he didn't like folks watching him. And I said, well, you know, that's my job. I kind of do that. But I said, uh, I said, thank you for what you do. He said, I didn't do anything. I'm not doing. And I said, I know what you do. I've been watching for a half an hour. I said, you know who you are. And he kind of looked a little sheepish. Do you know who you are? If you know who you are, you're free to serve. But when we don't know who we are, we don't understand all about service. We're, we're kind of like that lion who's tame because we have so many things that we're facing all at once. We look at the distractions instead of looking at the presence of God and it just renders us powerless. My question is, are you, do you know who you are? <laughs> If you do, you're free to serve. Distracted people don't know who they are. If they did, they would understand what's about to happen. The lady would have not fallen in the fountain, and we wouldn't have made decisions that we would have yet later regretted. Distracted people do not know who they are. If they are distracted, it's because Satan loves it. Here we go. Here's our next scripture. Let's see if I can get it here. All right, here we go. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Here we go. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> when we're distracted, we're not self-controlled and we're not alert. You see that here? He starts off by saying, be self-controlled, be alert. Why? Because the lion is out there. And it's not his desire just to kind of tempt you, although he does that. It's not his greatest desire to just distract you a little bit. It's his greatest desire to devour Christians. 
Folks, do we understand that? Can you just look around a little bit? I know there's a lot of good folks in this room and there's a lot of people here, but can you just look around and think of the folks that have been distracted who gave up, who aren't sitting here anymore? <laughs> or the people that you can look back and think, you know, 10 years ago, I, I, I could have made a, I could have called someone or I could have said that and, and I didn't. I was, I was distracted myself, so I didn't put my hands uh, or arms around these people and, and love them because of that. Maybe it was Satan orchestrating the whole thing and the distraction took place and because of that there was a person who's no longer here let me just tell you before i'm finished this morning what an undistracted christian looks like i've seen a few find someone who's doing good for someone quietly not with fanfare not with trumpets find someone who's sneaky about serving people. And there's a few out there. I know I was looking at all the different ministries that's going on here. And uh, I even spoke with someone this morning and they were, they were saying, I'm just, I'm just a helper in the ministry here. I'm just kind of um, watching over what's going on. Find someone who's quietly serving, who makes time in their everyday to schedule godly moments. For a person to come up to someone else and said, what can I do for you? Can I pray about something? To look at God and say, what can I do for you today, God? You're, I'm, I'm yours. Just use me as you want to. Find someone that does behind-the-scenes stuff that no one else wants to do. There's plenty of ministries out there that no one wants to show up for. You know. Find some people that are willing to do that without the accolades. They don't get mad when they don't get credit for it. They're serving with silent faithful regularity <laughs> they're doing it, it, it's kind of like the story of the man who called the keeper of the spring there was a spring that flowed gently from the mountains and there was a, a recreation area at the very bottom of the hill that people enjoyed well there was a keeper of the spring up at the top and he faithfully was on the payroll of this town below and he would every spring clear away the, the brush and the debris to make sure that everything was flowing the way it should and well one one year there was a there was a committee meeting and said i've never met this old keeper of the spring i think we should just uh, uh, cut him off the payroll and so they did and everything looked great for a couple of weeks but then the clammy uh, uh, all, all of the the leaves began to go into this this one recreation area and the sticks weren't pulled out and clammy infestations of, of disease would come into the village and then these the hurried up committee got back together and quickly put it back on the payroll and everything began to flow gently the way it was supposed to find people that are doing something not for the accolades but it's amazing when you turn around and if someone stops doing that how things fall apart and you go I had no idea Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, scripture that we had read for our scripture reading this morning. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence for God. <laughs> we first read the scripture and say, really, God, you <laughs> wait a second. I, I know what this scripture means. It says let us purify ourselves from how much? Everything that contaminates body and spirit. 
Well, God, really, isn't that your work? You purify us from our sins. Isn't that enough? And God says, you're still a part of the process. What do you mean, God? You mean purity has something to do with with the choices that I make? I've spent half of my life, you know, sometimes we sit there and think, well, it doesn't matter what I watch on TV. It doesn't affect me. Music doesn't affect me. Uh, Video games, no, they, (laughs) are you kidding me? It's just, just a game. I've, I've spent half of my life uh, he- hearing teens will say things like, well, no, I can, I can listen to that. I can participate in this. It doesn't affect me. And these verses, this verse just comes right out and says, you got some purifying to do, and it's your choice. It's almost like Jesus says, I've done what I do, but now is the time that you do what you're supposed to do. There's some spiritual uh, spring cleaning that we need to take and make sure is real in our lives. Is God asking too much? We look at our lives and think, contamination, what does that mean? We see what has happened in Japan, and we sit there and go, oh, they have a 25-mile radius or 125-mile radius around these, the, 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 the area that's been contaminated, and they don't want anyone to be in that area. And now it's in the water, and now it's, it's in the skies. And I was visiting with my mother about a week ago in Spokane, Washington, and everybody's eyes were open when this... Thing alert came on the TV and said it's in the milk, you know, and 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 so it's contaminant. And they said, well, it can't hurt you. And everybody thought, oh yeah, sure. Contamination makes us concerned. So we need to start being serious, start looking at our own lives, and purifying ourselves. Jesus let the distractions go. He faithfully gave us everything that we need for life and godliness in a moment that he could have been selfish. We look at our own lives and we think, am I being selfish? Do I just faithfully allow all of these distractions to make me ineffective or am I willing to trust the word of God? All right, I'm going to show a quick video here. And as I do that, uh, there will be sound to it. All right. This is a moment for us to understand what kind of distractions we have in our own life before, um, before we realize that, that in God we, we should emphasize loving him and, and loving others. But these distractions get to us. They're every day. And they're calling. Interest rates up to 18% as it battles against financial collapse. The move is designed to stabilize. Economic messages to win the support of
when we shut it all down, we can focus on the fact that he is God. The still, small presence of God is somehow crowded out with all of the things we've chosen. And not each, not, not one of them probably would be considered sinful or troublemaking. But how many times have you just had to, uh, to focus just let everything else go to be able to focus on one thing at a time. Men, to, uh, to let everything else go to, to get that truck working. <laughs> or ladies, uh, maybe there's uh, something going on where there's someone coming over, but you haven't had a lot of time to, to clean, and so everything else had to be shut down for a period of time to get that house clean. It's worth it, isn't it? It will bless you in the long run if you take those distractions and shut them down and focus on what is meaningful. After I moved from here back in 1992, yes, I'm old. I'm old. And I moved to Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma, Washington is just south of Seattle, about 30 miles. You think of Seattle and you think, well, that's the big city. Tacoma, Washington is, is slightly smaller but Tacoma is actually the crime capital of the state of Washington. More bad stuff happens in Tacoma than even in Seattle. And so when we moved to Tacoma, um, there were more violent crimes going on, drug deals, and, and not far even from our church building. Matter of fact, one time as, as my wife and I were headed home to cross the street from the church building to our apartment, which is right across, we were shot at with two cars that were going down the road shooting at each other, and we just happened to be in the crossfire. We were fine. But you just sit there, and, and we trembled for probably hours, thinking that could have been it. And so we were in this kind of a situation in this area, and we were working with a youth group where we decided to go downtown to the Tacoma Rescue Mission, to a place basically to help people that had nowhere else to go. So we went down to the Tacoma Rescue Mission. They had food on the shelves, but yet they needed some people to come in there and clean these shelves off. And I remember going in with the youth group and these wide eyes of these students going, okay, where do we start? And we, so we, we divide up students and, and adults and put them in different rooms and things. We put a couple kids with adults in the food room. And one of the students walked out in a few minutes and she said, I'm not going back in. There were mice that had been in there so long that they had died and were stuck to the shelves. And they were trying to get it off with a fork. I know this is gross. I'm sorry. But it was one of those moments where they started to realize that this wasn't just one of those cut and dry happy youth events. You know, okay, let's get the pizza and the punch out and we're okay. This was, it smells. And there's food in here that, that has been in here for 20 years, and no one has cleaned it. And I remember getting together later. What, what I'd done that morning is I had an illustration where I said, okay, we know what Jesus would do. He would find a situation. He would find a place that no one else was working, and he'd try to, to do his best. He would try to serve people where no one else knew where he was. He was just silently working toward helping people in an, in an area. And I said, I said if you find Jesus... 
What I meant was if you find uh, some type of a job that you think he would be doing that day, let us know that night. Find a, a certain place that you think Jesus would serve. And so we had gone to different places. One place we went to, these low-income housing areas where, where residents didn't have to pay much to stay there. And so we would clean areas in there. We'd clean at the rescue mission, just doing all these things. So we got together that night, and her name was Jan- Janelle Simahusky. And Janelle was a junior that year, and I remember she was one of those wide-eyed teens that was going, are we really doing this today? You know, I, I, I could do something else. And yet she gave it her all, and she went in there, and I said, okay, who wants to tell me where they found Jesus today? And she raised her hand. I said, Janelle, where did you see Jesus? She said, I saw him behind a refrigerator. <laughs> it was a little refrigerator, and she said, I guarantee you no one has ever in the life of this refrigerator, ever cleaned behind this fridge before. She was describing it. She said it was kind of caked on and things. She said, I can't believe it still worked. And she was talking about it. And she said, realize that when this refrigerator is working, it's bringing food to people who need it. And I think Jesus would have been cleaning behind this refrigerator. She was a person who at one time had huge distraction. Are you sure we're going to do this? (laughs) Let me come up with excuses why I shouldn't be in this room. And then she finally decided to live with a purpose. She finally decided to find Jesus, and she did. Today I'm not just asking you to put down the distractions. I'm asking you to take up Jesus. And wherever you find him. Sometimes Jesus is on the front row, not that he needs to, but that he knows we need to. So we follow his example. Sometimes we find Jesus in a difficult work with people that we have nothing seemingly in in common with. And so God asks us to, to reach out to them, to be able to let them know that they're human, they're important, they're created in the image of God as well. And God wants us to be able to see those people, but many times we don't because, guess what? We have distractions. And they keep us from seeing where Jesus really is. So I'm asking you, wherever you find Jesus, follow him. Do what he would do. Serve where he serves. And guess what you'll find? You'll find that many of the distractions that we have dealt with and struggled with have suddenly begun one by one melting away. Because you're realizing that you are now living with the purpose of Jesus Christ. I don't know why you came here today. I'd hope it was because you loved God. (laughs) That's a good start, all right? That's what the Bible says, to love God and to love people. Are you willing to go behind the fridge and serve people? Are you willing to eliminate distractions through service? How you show you love God is by loving others. So when's the last time you cleaned the fridge? When's the last time you visited a nursing home? Willingly. (laughs) Or made someone a meal that was hurting? Or sent a card? Or just put your arm around somebody and said, you're so important to me and to Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. Or washed someone's car in the name of Jesus. Let me show you this scripture one more time. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us 
purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence for God. One final question. Do you know who you are? If you do, if you know you're a Christian, you're in Christ, guess what? You're free to serve. You're free to get out there and to clean behind the fridge, to make a difference, to eliminate distractions and do exactly what God wants you to do. But if you don't know who you are, you find yourself falling into a fountain of doubt or falling into distraction over and over and over again. Today, I just want to remind you, if you're in Christ, purify. Eliminate some things that cause distraction. Um, I'm not saying if you have children that distract you, eliminate them. All right. I'm not saying that. (laughs) I was listening to my wife a little bit ago, and she was, uh, this was probably a couple months ago. She said, how do people worship with children? You know, how how does that happen? And we have a kid's kids church as well at our church but how do people do that and and she uh she answered her own question she said it's just a different kind of worship it's kind of a caring worship i'm caring for my kids but i'm also worshiping god and i thought that was interesting because what she had just done was she was fulfilling those two scriptures that scripture that says loving god and loving people at the same time to me that's worship not worshiping them but worshiping god by the way that you love your own family And folks, if you're not in Christ yet, today's the day to let him clean behind your spiritual fridge. Let him come to your life and to cleanse your life, to to help eliminate those distractions. Sometimes just to be in this room reminds us of what we need to do so that we take those steps to let Jesus do what he does best. Loves God. Loves others. Today, are you willing to step out in faith? Let your sins be washed away in baptism and just reach out to God and let him take care of it. And if you're already a Christian, I just want to encourage you, like the scripture says, to purify yourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. You know what? You won't regret it. I was telling the teens before this week, I said, I never regret any moment that I ever did something in the name of Jesus. I regret a lot of things I didn't do that way, but I don't regret the times that I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, or I'm going to sacrifice this, or I'm going to give my day for this, or, or in, in the name of the Lord, I'm going to go in this direction. Never have. Never have regretted that. If you decide to take a step today and say, you know, I've, I've not been right with God. Maybe I'm a Christian, but I've not really lived an undistracted life. I've not been purpose about loving God or loving others. Today's the day for you to respond. It's time for you to come back and to say, I'm willing to give up everything that contaminates body and spirit, uh, perfecting holiness the way that God wants me to. If you need to respond to